Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the magnificent Silverdome, and welcome to WrestleMania 3. It's a WrestleMania 3 special on the Daily Wrestling News Show, powered by the Eastern Observer. My name is Ryan Joy, and I am coming to you from Minutes to Bell Time Studios on the beautiful treasure coast of the Sunshine State, and I am joined today by Travis, who I think this is maybe number two on your WrestleMania list. Is that right? It is. I don't know how many we're going to get to do, but this is uh, this is numeral dose. So right. we'll see. I know you got a lot of time to fill, so we got to get yeah, the shows well. cranked out and in the can, so That's that right. everybody can enjoy vacation. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to do some uh, WrestleMania question of the day. We're going to do trivia. Um, you know what? We're not going to do trivia today. <laughs> I have one question for you, so we'll do that one. Okay. And then, uh, and then we'll get into the show proper. So uh, let's just roll right in. So Travis, why is this number two on the list for you? I think that it is the most iconic moment in wrestling ever. I think if you were to pick one moment in time to take and say wrestling was put on the map because of this thing, it's, it's the Hogan slam. It's the Andre Hogan match. The match itself wasn't, you know, uh, it certainly wasn't the Ric Flair Shawn Michaels match that we talked about in a different mania, um, but it was the it was the slam heard around the world. Um, it, it elevated Hogan to a level where he was a household name if he wasn't before. Um, that real American song everybody knows, and um, you know it was kind of the swan song for for Andre's career by and large. Sadly, because he goes out as a heel, but um, it's certainly I think that the the time when the real when the rest of the world actually stopped to pay attention to wrestling on a bigger scale. Yeah. There's wrestling before WrestleMania three, and then there's wrestling after WrestleMania three. Absolutely. And you, and you can see a pivot. If you just watch WrestleMania, you can actually see a serious pivot. You watch one and two and the production value is so, so mm-hmm. you watch WrestleMania three and it's, it, it grows and it's, it's, it's a lot better. And then you watch four and five and it's incredible production value from there on out. Yeah, they had really hit something in in lightning in a bottle. I mean, he always did a good job of making the show a spectacle. I mean, he brought out mm-hmm. Liberace and Muhammad Ali and stuff like that. So he was he was big. And actually, if I were to compare WrestleMania one celebrities versus the celebrities for WrestleMania three, other than Aretha Franklin, I think it's a little bit lighter sure. than the first one um, as far as top talent. Not that Bob Uecker and Mary Hart aren't lovely people, um, but they certainly aren't Liberace or Muhammad Ali, like, you know, Bob Uecker's barely Mr. T. Well, Alice Cooper. I Alice mean. Cooper as well. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't let me downsell that one. All right, so uh, for WrestleMania trivia, I'm going to give you one question. We'll see if you can get it. Harley Race is the king of wrestling at WrestleMania three. Who was the queen? Oh, Fabulous Moolah. It was the Fabulous Moolah. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's introduce... Everybody to WrestleMania 3, March 29th, 1987, took place at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. Pontiac is a suburb of Detroit. It's remembered for the massive and historic crowd and mainstream interest in the event. Of course, the main event, as we've talked about, is Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. In 1993, Dave Meltzer wrote about WrestleMania 3 and Andre the Giant's obituary. He said, WrestleMania 3 was the largest paid wrestling crowd in history. 
90,817 paid fans sold out the Pontiac Silverdome for Andre's WrestleMania three main event match against Hulk Hogan. The bout was the first million dollar live gate in the history, and it wasn't close. It was 1.59 million. It was the largest closed circuit gate in history, 5.2 million, and it set a pay-per-view buy, uh, buy rate record. And in 93, Meltzer said that those were not in jeopardy. Of course, now they've been blown out of the water, all those all those numbers, but at that time, they were, they were not in jeopardy. So, Yeah, this is pre-Attitude Era, and this is when he's writing this. This is before NWO and who's the third man and any of that heat starts building up for the, for the popularity of wrestling between AEW. WCW and WWF. Yeah, we're uh, when he's writing this, we're kind of in the Bret Hart era of. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. a lull, right? We've got some weird characters coming out. I mean, it's Farouk with the weird helmet and different stuff like that, and Doink's still around, and we've got you know Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam, and it's yeah. a little goofy. Um, Aretha Franklin sings "America the Beautiful." Uh, she would do this again twenty years later at WrestleMania twenty-three. By the way, um, I was there for that one, not here for not here for three, but. Uh, Meltzer also said uh, in the opening of the 1987 newsletter where he actually wrote about WrestleMania 3, to say anything but Sunday's WrestleMania show was the most impressive all-around wrestling production in history would be to deny the obvious. And I think that's what we were talking about before. Production value was super high for this show um, in comparison to everything else that was happening at the time. Um, so it's a pivot. It's a serious pivot in wrestling. Um, there was wrestling before and there was wrestling after, and this was the marker. Yeah, certainly. Maybe there would have been another event or another time when this would have happened, but I think, you know, the brilliance of Vince McMahon is he knew what he had with Hogan and Andre. You don't decide to go into this size venue where if you only sell half the tickets and you're going to put this much oomph into it, um, he knew what he had. He had built it for a while and it was going to pay it off and, you know, good for him on cashing in on it. And then, you know, carrying his brand forward for this, this was a big deal. Legitimate sellout. And Meltzer said in his Andre the Giant biography, uh, obituary, I don't have the direct quote, but he said 125,000 people would not have been a problem. Sure. Was, this was a, an easy sellout. It sold out three to four weeks in advance of the show. So, um, yeah, Great stuff, and we'll we'll get into the awesome. we'll go in match by match now. But um, obviously, this is this is like a two or three match show, right? I mean, the rest of them are there, and they're supporting cast, and they're a good supporting cast. But this is a this is largely a one match sellout with several other good ones. Well, it's a one match sellout. You got a one one other match that's very good, but yeah, the rest of it is kind of you get to see. You know, the wrestling has has certainly aged. Um, I mean, we don't see any finishers basically in the entire show other than a leg drop. So. <laughs> All right. Well, the first ma- the first match at WrestleMania three, it's the Can Am Connection, Rick Martel and Tom Zank. I think in the if we could do WrestleMania from here to the end, everyone in between will probably never talk about Tom Zank again. No. Uh, but he faced the magnificent Don Morocco and Ace Cowboy Bob Orton with Mister Fuji. Um, Cross body for the win here. Cross, Cross body over the top of a schoolboy for the yeah. for the victory. Um, one of the things that's interesting about wrestling back then is you're going to see, with the exception of one match, every single heel 
that comes out has a manager with them. And one of them, would it, the other one has is actually part of the Heen family stable. And we'll talk about that. But this is Mr. Fuji's only time on the card. Um, of course, we've got Randy Orton's dad, Bob, who's in good shape for, him, for, for that era. Don Morocco obviously looks impressive. But this is just kind of a quick one. And, you know, the Can-Am connection, they were off the top ropes twice. So they were considered high flyers during that era. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a quick one. I think I did the math on it. The average match that we watched in the 12 matches, the average match time is seven minutes, believe it or not, because a couple of them went over 10, but we've got some threes and some fours and some twos in here. So um, yeah. not the longest barn burner matches that we get to see these days. This one gets uh, two and a half stars from Meltzer. I have a photo scanned copy of the observer here in front of me. Two and a half stars. <laughs> two and a half stars. That sounds about right. Uh Second match, Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules. Now, this is a match to determine who has the best full Nelson. Bobby Lashley was not in the picture at this time. No. Uh, in the pre-match promo, Bobby Heenan declared uh, that Billy Jack was, in fact, Billy Jerk Haynes, and he would not have it any other way. Um, the match you know, goes on. Haynes holds Hercules in a full Nelson on the outside. Both men get counted out. Uh, post-match, Hercules brought in the chain. He punched Haynes with the chain and busted him wide open. That's something else that you're not going to see on a WWE show these days either. No, yeah, this was a this was kind of a crazy match. You had Billy Jack was very, very proud of his Oregon heritage with his Oregon all over his tights, and green was a big theme of uh, who he was and what he was. Um, and Hercules, you know, came out with the chain like he always does, and that's he ended up assaulting him at the end. There's you see with these matches, there's always some kind of a nonsense going in the beginning. You're going to see the match. And then more often than not, there's a lot of nonsense after the bell too. So if you record the time that they come out in their little wrestling ring yes. carts, because the wrestling, well, part of the reason why they did the wrestling cart thing is Andre couldn't walk that far. And it was a long ways. And they tried to figure out a, an interesting way to do it. So you've got this guy who's driving essentially a forklift out with a little mini wrestling ring. Mm -hmm. zipping people back and forth so the entrance music wasn't exactly the loudest in fact there's only one that you can really hear very well yeah. and that's the last one of the night um yeah. so you don't get a lot of that kind of flair we've got no pyro on the show we're not no. we're not doing any of that kind of stuff right now and this is just bare bones wrestling so you get a couple of back and forths and then this you know this this finish with the double count out here yeah and one star from Meltzer only for the comedy, whatever, it's fine. The thing that's interesting, when you look at the presentation of WrestleMania three, the first many matches, it's broad daylight. Oh yeah. Totally different look than what you get in an arena show today or anything like that. Maybe mania once a year, you have the, the earlier matches, it's daylight, but most of the show is in the daylight. I think it was Savage, Steamboat Savage, where it turned. When it gets dark, yeah. And, and if you see the, if you watch the camera angles, you can see that the dome is still, it's still lit up and it's still white. It's just like they changed the lighting of it. So, like I was, because the WrestleMania that we talked about before was an outdoor mania, so obviously it got dark during it. So the same, the same thing happened here as well, but it seems like they changed the lighting a little bit on it as well. So they, they intentionally made it a little darker because it wasn't this smooth transition where it was day and then it was all, all of a sudden night. It just We got to the steamboat match and all of a sudden it was dark out and we were no longer during the day. So, um, and a good reason. Yeah, it would be interesting. I don't know. I don't have any like live reports or anything, but 
I wonder actually how long this was versus what that we have in the taped final format. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it was probably edited down quite a bit because there's a bunch of times when you go to the ring and the competitors are already in the ring and that back yeah. and forth is, is a while, even when they're driving the, the little they show us the class. three recorded uh, interviews with, of which there were quite a few in this, in this particular. Yeah. Show. Yep. A lot of vignettes. The next match is King Kong Bundy, Bundy, Little Tokyo, Lord Littlebrook versus Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver, the Haiti Kid, Ventura, Monsoon, everybody involved, Hillbilly, Hillbilly Jim. Nobody blinks an eye at calling all these people midgets. Nope. That's just the way that it was back then. So we're yep. talking about, what are we at? Uh, 87. 87. Yep. Our social graces. Uh, misogyny's live and well in the WWE programming. We've got midgets instead of little people. Um, you know, this is certainly something you wouldn't see on a normal card. The, the thing is, though, for the time, back then, there was a large, I guess we'll call it like a troop of wrestlers that were little people that were very popular. Mm -hmm. um, when I watched, I watched two of these competitors fight each other and the Gloods Fall Civic Center because they were sort of part of the loop as well. Um, so this wasn't uncommon for them to bring in from time to time. And we saw it with um, other wrestlers too. Usually what they did was they took a little person and they put him in an outfit that was nearly identical to the um, regular sized person. And then just had a small version of it. And it was a tag team match that went back and forth like that for it, it's, it's essentially comedy wrestling back then for what it is today. But yeah, this isn't one that, uh, you know, Vince will go back and highlight in any of the, the footage or anything like that. No, you know, it kind of is what it is. Yeah. And it, the, the, the finish here, it's a DQ finish because Bundy grabs little beaver, slams him, drops an elbow on him. That led to the disqualification. All of the little people on, King Kong Bundy's team turned on Bundy. Hillbilly Jim carries uh, Little Beaver to the edge of the ring, and that's pretty much the end of the sequence there. So. Yep. Okay. All right. So next we move on to Mary Hart. She's with Miss Elizabeth. Um, Savage interrupts, and he says, Fascinating is the word, and enthusiasm is where I go. My phone number is on the back of my license plate. So, yeah, classy, classy. That's Randy, right? Randy Savage with his gal there, and you know, Mary Hart was a big deal back then. She was the the kind of the lead person for entertainment tonight, and I mean, we're talking about a time when cable TV was kind of just in its infancy, so most people only had three or four channels, and you didn't have a lot of options. So she was kind of a bigger deal as far as media personalities go and entertainment and well-rounded. And actually, if you'd listen to what she says during the show, she's ignorant towards some stuff that, that is good for her to be ignorant towards. And then, but she has some good things to say too. So I thought her being part of it was definitely a value add. They certainly were trying to, to, you know, have somebody relatable for the female viewer. So I can appreciate them deciding to use her in that way. And uh, the next match is Harley Race versus the Junkyard Dog. The loser must bow before his opponent. Yeah, King Harley Race at this point. Um, so we're coming down to the ring, and we're in our we're in our purple ensemble with a with a crown and Moolah, who's the queen of basically the only known women's wrestler at that time. At least part of this show, there was no Wendy Richter. We didn't have any of the the other people that we had seen before come out. Um, and this has been a little bit of a feud that's going on between JYD stealing his crown a couple of times and wearing the robe and stuff. So we're finally going to pay this off with loser bows. Um, 
JYD doesn't last very much longer with the company after this match. Um, so they, you know, the match kind of goes back and forth. There's not a heck of a lot to it. Harley Race hits kind of a, a headbutt here, and a belly-to-belly suplex is the finisher on this one. <laughs> well, and you know, that's it's not crazy for Harley. Um, Harley got knocked out of the ring a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, he just walks, gets back in the ring and hits JYD with a, like a belly-to-belly side suplex, not even like a... Just open. a belly-to-belly side suplex, and that's uh-huh. enough for the win. I think in the, in um, in his prime, Race really, I think he just used a vertical suplex as his finisher for the most part. Yeah, and there um, were kind of So it's not suplex. totally crazy that he would use a suplex to win, but the 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 junkyard dog he bowed after the match, and but he uh, but he also left with the robe and crown. So he bowed and then he grabbed a chair and <laughs> started wailing on people, and yeah, he ended up with the robe. He didn't get the crown because they got out of the ring pretty fast. Um, yeah. Heenan and Mula got got back in the, the little mini ring to get out of there pretty fast, and JYD kind of gave some chase. But he was thrilled to be in the ring with the robe, wearing that stuff. So we got a little bit of a payoff, which is kind of a common theme with anybody. Any of the the faces that that lose, it, all bets are off when the bells after the bells ring. If they lost the match, then they can p- kind of do whatever they want, whether it's out of character or not. And if you listen to the crowd. When the faces act inappropriately, that's the biggest pop you get to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they love it when they you know the the comeuppance is a real thing at this point in wrestling for sure. Then we'll discuss that when we get to Jim Duggan for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is next to we have the first of two Hulk Hogan promos, and I've got to read this one word for word because if I don't, you won't have a clue what I'm what he said. And even after I read it to you, you still probably it doesn't make any sense either. <laughs> All I have to do is merely beat a seven foot four, five hundred and fifty pound giant. Uh, but Andre, you got to face the truth, brother, in its purest form, man. The purest truth there is, man. The training, saying the prayers, eating the vitamins, and to beat me, man, you got to beat every Hulk maniac, every little Hulkster in the world, everyone that plays it straight, all the ones that don't take any shortcuts, brother. And they usually say. If the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. But in this case, it's going to be Hulkamania. And the reason it's going to get you, man, is the purest form of the truth. And I can't wait to see you go down at the feet of Hulkamania in front of 90,000 plus in the Silver Dome. What are you going to do, Andre the Giant, when the purest truth, the 24-inch pythons, and Hulkamania run wild on you? Travis, what's the purest truth? Any idea? I don't know. Any? It sounds like he's referring to drugs, honestly. I. <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense. The politician line is kind of from out of nowhere. Like, I don't know if that's a line from a popular movie at that point or what the deal was. Um, But he just pulled it out of a hat and decided to go with it. I mean, it's, it's not Steiner math, but it's up there. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty close to, I mean, I guess at the end you get the, what you going to do stuff. And that's really, you know, it's delivery, just like the ultimate warrior. It's the delivery over the words. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's his facials. It's the way that he's moving his body around for sure. How many times he flexes, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, don't pay attention to what he's saying. Right. So the Rougeau brothers next as the face team against the dream team with Johnny Valiant. Uh, The big question of the match was why does the dream team have Dino Bravo at ringside? Um, Well, I'll tell you. Dino Bravo was there to interfere in the match, which would go directly to the finish. Uh, the Dream Team would get the win, but Beef ta- Beefcake, Brutus Beefcake, the Dream Team is Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine. Beefcake took exception to the methods, 
and uh, he didn't he didn't leave with them. So. Yeah, they they leave they leave him kind of left in the ring at that point. There was some bickering mid match between Valentine and Beefcake. It, you could tell they weren't on the same page. Um, this is going to play out. Jimmy Valiant is going to you know eventually we're going to see Dino Bravo with Frenchie, and that's going to be the thing. But it's going to be Dino Bravo with Greg Valentine, and we'll find out about Beefcake in the next match. Correct. The next match is Roddy Piper versus Adrian Adonis. Now, this is the last time we'll ever see Roddy Piper. Um, at least that's what the storyline going in was. Yep. Also, he's, he's off to Hollywood. He's going to be a big actor. They live. Yep. And hell comes to Frogtown. Loser would get their head shaved bald. Prior to the match, Piper had a very short pro- promo where he essentially just said, no retreat, no surrender. Jimmy Hart said, that you spell wrestling A-D-O-N-I-S. Piper was also leaving after this match. They made a big deal about it being his last match. They start off by whipping each other with Piper's belt. Adonis got the best of that exchange. Jimmy Hart took a whole bunch of bumps in this match. Adonis put the sleeper hold on Piper, but he released it before Piper's arm fell for the third time. Beefcake jumped in. He never left ringside, Bruce Beefcake. He revived Piper. Roddy immediately put the sleeper on Adonis, got the win. Brutus shaved Adonis's head. The barber was born, was so born. to speak. Yep. Right at the end of the sequence, we see a fan jump in the ring to celebrate with Piper, but security got him. Yeah, and Roddy's thrilled too. The fan jumps in. He's like, shakes his hand, is thrilled about it. So the build up to this one a little bit is Piper's pit was the big deal back then. And Piper's pit was kind of going away. So Adrian Adonis, to make fun of Piper, decided that he was going to do his version called the flower shop. Well, before this match, Piper has a promo where he goes out and he attacks him and just tears the hell out of the the flower shop is no more when Piper is done with it. Um, Adonis picks some uh, ill-fitting trunks, I'll call it, for this match. Not exactly the best outfit. There was more of Adrian that you could see in this match than I would have preferred. Um, and he's a, he's actually from, from Buffalo originally, um, dies in a terrible car crash on his way to a wrestling show. But, um, Adrian doesn't, doesn't last much longer in WWE after this. And Piper, obviously we see him back shortly after a little while, um, and has a couple of other runs, but you know, this was one of those things where I think people going in assume that while well, Piper's leaving, so he's probably going to be the one to get his head shaved and man, you know, Brutus, I know he's a neophyte barber, but it certainly took him a while to get any hair off of Adonis's head. Like those clippers, he was having a real trouble with it. I don't know if he couldn't turn them on. They weren't charged what the deal was, but it was a slow goings for him. Well, you know, it would have been a two hour show if not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, after this, Howard Finkel introduces Jesse, the body Ventura. I don't know what the story here is, but Jesse, I guess Monsoon said Jesse just wanted to see everything from inside the ring. And I don't know, that may very well be the truth. Um, because this was what we said, it was a happening. It was 90,000 people and maybe Jesse just wanted to be in the middle of it. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And who knows, you know, it could have been him just coming out because they were at a stale time or something like that. And they needed, you know, somebody to jump in the ring to do do some entertainment. I mean, Jesse was a big deal. Jesse had a really, a really good run. And this was, he hadn't been out of the ring for too long. Obviously this is before he's the governor of Minnesota by quite a, quite a number of years and stuff, but he was certainly somebody that everybody loved to hate and a very good commentator. He was in in his time. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, always. So, <laughs> it's kind of well, it's kind of like Jerry Lawler. For years and years and years after he was done wrestling, he still wore his ring gear. Yep. Um, in commentary. Yeah, so. I mean, outside of him coming out in the pilgrim gear for Survivor Series. Um, yeah, usually Jesse was in some kind of a animal print or leopard print or something like that. Um, there was a SummerSlam in Orlando where he wore a Mickey Mouse, a white Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. There you go. There you go. Tony Schiavone was his broadcast partner. Interesting combination. Yes. Not two guys that you would see at the bar together, probably. No. <laughs> uh, Hart Foundation promo after this. Basically, Jimmy Hart says there'll be nothing left of the British Bulldogs afterwards. Uh, we get Hart Foundation and Dangerous Danny Davis versus Tito Santana and the British Bulldogs in the next match. Uh, Davy Boy would hit the power slam on Danny, Danny Davis. Anvil broke up the pin. Tito hit the flying forearm on Anvil. Davis hit Davy Boy Smith with the megaphone and covered Smith for the win. So I think if we're keeping score... I don't know if we've had a clean finish yet. No, we're not racing to clean finishes, really. Um, the closest is the Can Am finish with the schoolboy, I guess. Yes, that's we clean. give him that on the we give him that on the front, but nope. Clean finishes, that's the thing. You got managers, you got heel managers down at the ring. Things are gonna get dirty all the time. Um, this one was, you know, Danny Davis's first time in the ring. Danny had been kind of a twisted referee. Um, the story building up to this one is that he had cost each of these people title shots which was accurate. He cost Tito the, the IC belt and he'd cost the British Bulldogs as well. Um, it, you know, we've got early Hart Foundation stuff with Jimmy Hart here. Um, it is obvious if you take a look back at this match that Brett and Davey Boy are certainly the standouts here um, as far as in-ring work goes. And, you know, Brett's on definitely a different, the two of them are on a different level than what you've seen kind of leading up to this um, with some more modern, what we would see as, as modern wrestling for sure. Um, the megaphone was a was a common <laughs> device used to to finish matches for the Hart Foundation and anybody that Jimmy happened to be in the ring with. I did want to mention even that Can Am connection finish. Ventura was complained that there was too much double teaming. Oh so sure, even, absolutely. Even that one they called into. If, if that was the only clean finish we've had so far, even Ventura called that into question. So. That's fair. Monsoon kind of go, tried to go back on him and say that they've got five seconds of the ring. And he's like, well, watch how long it happens before. So, yeah, Monsoon and Jesse are really good together. I like Monsoon and Heenan better together as two commentators. But Monsoon and and, 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 um, and Jesse do a good job together as well. Yep. Yeah, they're great. They can, uh, it's one of these things where I have found on several shows that I've watched from back then that I could almost – um, not watch the show and just listen to them talk. And, and that's entertaining enough. Absolutely. I mean, you know, socially we're past some of the conversation that you hear for them, but you're going to see that anytime you go back and listen to anything that's, that has an entertainment angle, like, a, you know, just the way that we speak and the way that we talk about different things is, is, is more progressive now than it was back then. But if you take that out of it, for what it's worth, I mean, gosh, just, just great duos. Duos like you don't get to hear as much of, these days for sure correct um so now next thing is it's andre the giants promo time um at least andre was there bobby heenan did all the talking but i want you to contrast what i the word for word promo that i will give you from bobby heenan and remember in the back of your head the politicians and junk and stuff that hogan was saying earlier heenan says 
This man is undefeated in 15 years as a professional athlete. Hulk Hogan has never been in the ring, nor met a man bigger than him, stronger than him, taller than him, that weighs more than him, and with a burning will inside more than Andre the Giant. You see, Hogan, a few short hours from now, that clock is ticking, and it's ticking in our direction, not yours. Hulkamania is over. Hulkamania is dead. The door is going to be shut on the history books of Hulk Hogan once and for all. There is a new heavyweight champion of the world, the odds-on favorite in Las Vegas and all of the wrestling world. They're picking Andre the Giant. Nobody can defeat this man. Nobody can even come close to defeating this man. And Hogan, I know what is happening to you now because it has happened to me. The butterflies are in my stomach. The adrenaline is running through my veins, and I'm getting ready. I'm going to manage the heavyweight champion of the world. And Hogan, hey, you had three good years. You got nothing to look back on, but it's all over. Andre the Giant, the new heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah, so you got 24-inch pythons trying to spit out a promo versus Bobby the Brain Heenan, who's probably the greatest manager that's ever lived, um, and just, you know, lights out. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like he, he covered everything and that was Bobby. I mean, Bobby as a wrestler was nothing compared to what he was in commentary and, and for, for managing, but man, just a treasure really. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that you hear sometimes that'll use a hedonism and, yeah. uh, you know, you go right back to Bobby and, uh, I miss having him around for sure. Cause boy, there wasn't, wasn't very many people like it. I know people get on the Jim Cornette train as far as greatest manager, but Bobby, Bobby Heenan, for what he did for the manager role is completely different. And it's interesting too. So we don't see as many managers today. And some of it is like, I think what it comes down to is finances, right? So the, the cost of having a manager that just comes out for one match and yada, yada, yada. Well, if we take a look at this, this is a 12 match card. Every single match minus one has a manager that comes out. And one of the matches actually has technically two. Um, you've got Heenan who's out for three matches. He does commentary for one match. You got Jimmy Hart that works three slick works two. Fuji works one. You get Elizabeth. And then you got George, the animal that comes out with steamboat. So every match kind of in hacksaw randomly comes out as well. So technically he would be another one, but you know, the full-time managers, they're working, you know, as much time or more than the wrestlers. So that's how you kind of financially justify them. Not counting. I mean, you know, Andre's going to do a promo later in the show, but Bobby Heenan gave the best promo of the show. Yeah. You know, now Jake was also a very good promo back then too. Um, but he doesn't get his chance to to do what Bobby does. No. Not with this build. Um, no, certainly not. And uh, the next match, no, no hype promos for this one. It's just natural Butch Reed versus Coco Beware. Um, Coco bounces off the ropes, ducks the clotheslines, hits the rope on the far side, nails Reed with a crossbody. Reed goes over with the momentum, hooks the tights, gets a quick pin. Coco was upset with the match. He knocked Butrita out of the, the ring, but Slick hit Coco with the cane. Tito Santana came back in the ring, ripped all the clothes off of Slick. Makes perfect sense. That's how you finish that. Tito's pissed off because he lost the last match. Let's get him in on this one and just rough up Slick. And what I appreciate about this is Slick comes out. He comes out a couple of matches later and doesn't even fix his clothes. No. He's no. got the coat ripped in half. He's got the dress shirt that's pulled up, and it's pulled up in the in the match when he goes out to the ring with the with the iron cheek and uh and, and Nikolai Volkov, and it's all disheveled just the same. So I appreciate the continuity on Slick's part for, for that, for sure. And it's funny because, you know, 
Ventura, uh, Ventura would say, oh, look at Slick. He's so well-dressed, doctor of style. And Monsoon says, he doesn't have $37 worth of clothes on him right now. <laughs> and so he was certainly worth less by the time the match was over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Ventura, I think, responded with, perfect for downtown Detroit. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. You know, you had these large, they were just larger than life, crazy characters and stuff with, with all, everybody's gimmicked out, right? You know, oh, yeah. it was very easy to tell who the good guy was and who the bad guy was. Um, you know, this was just a, just a quick, quick match and, and off you go. And, you know, I'm sure a program with Tito and Butch Reed kind of moved off of that as well. Yeah. Uh, Randy Savage gets the next promo. So this promo number two for him. I guess we can tell who the talkers are. Yes. Um, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. There were a couple of words missing, but but this time in front of the largest audience in the world, I'm going to embarrass you and put you out of wrestling for good. I am the Lord and master of the ring. And you're going to find that out dragon. You can't hang with me. History beckons the macho man. So uh, he was right. History did beckon him and we won't get to that match for a little. Well, it's right now actually, but uh, we will get to it. But this is the match that I think everybody looks back on and says, it's, you know, some people say it's the greatest of all time. I think it's a stretch watching it to say it's the greatest of all time. Now, now Macho's pretty pumped up because I believe he's coming off a steel cage match win against Steamboat before this match, a couple of weeks before on Superstars. So he's pretty excited. Now, George Steele has has helped out Steamboat and you know uh, kidnapped her at least for the time being and run Elizabeth to the back in some of the matches. So George is going to come out with Ricky. Um, this was. Definitely the match that put Ricky Steamboat on the map for sure. Macho was already around doing his thing. Um, people really paid attention to Ricky after this match. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, great psychology. You've got you've got Elizabeth, who's almost playing the role of the gal from King Kong, and you got George the Animal, who's actually King Kong on the other side. But it's a good guy thing, and like she's got the Macho Man, who's you know, butting in and not letting her say anything. And the macho man's this overly gregarious, overly protective lunatic. And you got Ricky, who's just this pure fighter there to, to do his work. So he's, he's about as straight of a face as you could possibly imagine in a match. And Macho's kind of the mouthier other side of the heel. Yeah. And, and uh, Steamboat, he has this promo ahead of time. It's, it's very silly. Um, and actually Melt this the one complaint Meltzer had about this match was the silliness of the promo, which basically said he Steamboat says, I'll come away with the championship belt and see new horizons. But uh that was his big promo. In fact, it's kind of like um when somebody's giving a speech at an award show and they start playing the music and pull you off. That's kind of what happened here to Steamboat. <laughs> like okay, Yeah, not. he was he was off. You would have been better off if George the Animal had given the promo honestly, because it would have been more <laughs> impactful um with his green tongue and all. Um, now Martin Martin says, uh in the last year prior to this, he'd only it had been almost a full year since he saw a match in WF of this caliber. He pointed to Savage Santana prior that was the best match um in fact he said the starcade at thanksgiving time there wasn't a match on that that could touch this match so he, yeah, he and raised it for and what's funny is i think they what do they go 12 minutes or so on this match sure. which isn't you know today's standard that's not a long match by any stretch but if you look at it and you compare it to the rest of the matches on this card i think it's the longest or it's the second longest after maybe the dream team match there was something else in there that was right around that period of time um 
Well, but White's not even in the ring yet these days. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so it's certainly the most modern um, looking match. There's some there's some rope stuff. We we there's you know a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a lot of times with these other ones that we talked about before, it's just kind of the beginning and the end. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. not a lot in between. And they were trying to get a lot of matches on the card too, so that everybody kind of had their time um, and some exposure because you don't know who's going to hit at this point, and it's they're trying to take it mainstream, so you know, throw as much against the wall as you can. Um, yeah, Steve was interviewed about this match a couple of couple of years ago when they were actually it wasn't that long ago, but it was when the when they were going to air this on ESPN or CBS or whatever they were going to air the full WrestleMania three card. And Steamboat basically said at that time you might see one, two, three false finishes on an entire wrestling card. Mm-hmm. They tried they tried hard to get about twenty in this match. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and I think that was that was part of it too. You know, the the old school was you you build to a spot in the match where you've got the crowd off your feet, off their feet, and then you just pay it off and you let them go home. Yep. And in this one, it was about the anticipation of it, and and people watching it didn't know who was going to win. Like Randy yep. could have certainly retained, and he had had some success with him before this match as well. So, yeah, it was nice that they did that, and I. I don't know how many real false finishes aside from the ones that were in this match we saw in the rest of the show. Just and it's, it's funny what we common. call a false finish. It's not like Savage dropped the elbow on Steamboat and kicked out five times. It was cradles and and right. pins and stuff that Steamboat was doing. You know, they went from cradle to cradle, roll up to roll up to try to eventually get a pin. Um, when eventually Steamboat got tossed in the into the post. Then they did some Irish whips and reversed them like three times. Referee goes down. Savage does hit the elbow, but there's no referee to make the cover or make the count. Nope. Randy goes outside. He gets the bell. George Steele prevents him from using the bell, pushes Savage off the ropes. Uh, Steamboat uses a small package for the pin. Just like you do. Yeah, he gets reverses a scoop slam into a small package, and then that's – three count and it's over. Right. Um, you know, the, int- the other interesting thing about this is right back at the beginning of the beginning, as Steamboat was coming out, if you were watching the crowd and listening, the crowd was going crazy for this guy. Cameras flashing everywhere. He was really over, which is, fun- is funny because, I mean, Savage is the much better talker. I mean, sure. Like- sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, it, was a, it was a time when, like, you know, karate was this big awesome sure. thing that the world wanted to do right and um you know we were seeing a lot more asian influence when it came to different movies and stuff like that too so this was kind of their version of you know the gi joe had two martial arts people in it as well so you had a lot of kids that really related to martial arts and we're talking about karate kid at this point and stuff like that and that was kind of the style that steamboat wrestled a little bit um so yeah he was certainly somebody that the that the crowd really got behind it was a you know it was the first time that we see the ic belt change hands in mania um we're gonna see ricky the dragon come back in wrestlemania 4 he's gonna come out with little dragon um to just as loud if not a louder crowd with a smaller house um next the following year so yeah he was he was a big deal he was a big deal and uh the other person that we didn't talk about earlier that got a huge ovation from this crowd was the junkyard dog oh yeah 
And, JYD, you know. JYD was all about it. Yep, he was a he was a big deal. Um, the thump pants and stuff like that. Obviously, he had he had some big feuds with Butch Reed as well. Um, mm-hmm. But somebody who never really felt like he got what he deserved for WWE, and he had a couple of stints with him here and there, and had gone back and done some other stuff, and you know was not around for too too long. But people really loved that junkyard. He's got the chains on him, that whole style, and he was certainly really really likable. Was in the cartoon and everything. So it's one of those ones where you know this was the territory crushing, right? Like junk, mm-hmm. junkyard dog. If you go to the South Louisiana, that territory, man, over. Over, mm-hmm. over, and yep. you know he was he was over in WWE, but he just wasn't top of the car. Yeah, you still had AWA doing their thing, the Gagne's up north in Minnesota and stuff like that, and that's actually you know that's where Vince steals Hulk Hogan from. And you've got NWA still running as well, and you've got you know uh, Crockett is yep. running in the south as well, and you've got Smoky Mountain is going on at that time. So there's still a whole bunch of territories. This is just Vince you know, trying to build his empire with as many guys as he can. I mean, a lot of the guys on this show, they weren't WWE grown, you know, these were just, oh, "Oh, these guys are amazing from this area. We'll take them and make them full-time, you know? And that was the thing that WWE had full-time with a TV show versus, you know, AWA who at the time had some Saturday morning stuff, but it was, you know, it was always the Von Erichs versus the grappler or whatever. And you weren't getting a lot of movement from there. And NWA was always run by Ric Flair. So, so, Moving past the Intercontinental Championship match, we have Jake Roberts and the Honky Tonk Man. We both get promos for both of them. Um, Alice Cooper is with Jake Roberts. He says he's going to have his eyes on Jimmy Hart. It's his hometown and the hometown of heavy metal. So, yeah, Detroit, Detroit Rock City. Um, the interesting thing about this is kind of this is this this match and the setup for this match is sort of the downfall of Jake, the snake Robert. So Jake had the snake pit before. And one of the angles was that honky tonk was going to come out. He was going to hit Jake over the head with a, you know, a gimmicked guitar. Well, the, the hand who had to go out and buy the guitar bought a regular guitar. So honky tonk comes in and breaks the guitar over Jake's head. Well, it just so happened to rupture two discs in his neck. So it, it puts him on painkillers and this kind of starts Jake's slide down from that situation and and you see at the end of this match jake is stiff there's a spot where he swings the guitar at honky tonk's head and honky tonk gets out of the way but that was swung with some real intention as that that guitar shatters into a bazillion pieces so i there's no way that jake wasn't annoyed and upset about honky tonk with this situation and it was something that you know who knows if that didn't happen in that promo before, what different life Jake the Snake might have had because of that situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the way this come, goes down is um, Jake Snake went for a DDT. Jimmy Hart grabbed his ankle. Honky Tonk Man rolled up Jake, grabbed the ropes, and got the pin. And it was, yeah, a, ro- it was a weird rope grab because it's not like that rope grab that he gave would have given him the leverage to, to keep Jake down. No, it was like double healing. He'd grab the tights for the roll-up, and he also grabbed the, the the top rope. But if you look at the angle of it, he's obviously not getting any leverage that way because he's moving another way. <laughs> you know, he's adding a little bit more gas on the fire, I guess, to really to, to really put it over that he was trying to cheat to get that win. Um, and who knows, maybe that was just him trying to give a little to Jake after the situation. Um, you know, but Alice Cooper, he's not going to have it. The Jake gets a hold of 
Jake gets a hold of um, of Jimmy, and Alice goes and grabs Damien, obviously. And Alice is pretty pretty over at his hometown in Detroit. He's pretty popular at that point. That's feed my Frankenstein time, and really well known. Um, and yeah, we we get Damien all over Jimmy, and Jimmy just barely doesn't kick the poor snake. Uh, Jake was real good here and carried the way. Honky tonk is fun, but once the bell rings, he ceases to be much. Two and a half stars. Yeah, and he really thinks a lot of himself as a wrestler. And Honky was a great character. I think he did oh, his best work as with Greg Valentine, probably, even though he'll tell you he's the greatest intercontinental champion ever. Um, I thought they were, he was certainly better with a tag team with somebody that could wrestle, who Greg Greg was a hell of a wrestler. Yes. Um, but yeah, Jake, Jake was awesome as a wrestler at his time and could do a lot and man has just good promos and great facials and just, you know, obviously the guy had to be very, very good. Otherwise you wouldn't see AEW now in Jake's current state, dragging him around and, and letting him work in a more modern wrestling way. I mean, his just the way he delivered stuff with his voice was, was phenomenal. And the snake gimmick was obviously amazing. Uh, after this, uh, well, before Jimmy Hart does get the snake thrown on top of him and then chased out with the snake. So, you know, the crowd gets that payoff. He wants yeah, to they get... love it. They love it. As soon as the snake comes out of the bag, the whole roof goes off. Like The mentality at the time was send them home happy. That was always Vince McMahon's mentality, right? So, you know, in all these matches that we're seeing, even if the babyface loses, which you brought up, we're still going to see the after after match antics that make the good guy come out on top. Yeah, even in the match with where you know we see we see Danny Davis and in, in in the Hart Foundation win, all three of the wrestlers get a shot at pounding on Danny yes. in the match before the finish happens. So yeah, they're they're really good about that. You don't want to leave them in the situation where oh boy, I really wish we would have had this happen, but you don't really see that much. Gene Okerlund makes a special announcement. He announces a brand new indoor attendance record of 93,173. Uh, and I mentioned 90,817 at the beginning of the show. Uh, that, that's just the way things went. They were Attendance was often weird and changed and inflated. Doesn't really matter. 93, 90. Uh, like even, uh, even Dave Meltzer, the most critical of people on the attendance numbers, he said that 125,000 was totally doable. So right, right, yeah, they could have kept selling. It's not like they had to paper the parking lot to get people in the door for this show. No, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Slick versus the Killer Bees. As Nikolai Volkov sang the Russian national anthem, Hacksaw Jim Duggan runs to the ring with his two by four. You're not singing that Russian national anthem because this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yep, he's got the mini flag on the two by four, so we we're gonna go full nationalism on this one and get some USA chants yes. going through the crowd. Um, it's well known that the Iron Sheik doesn't have anything good to say about jumping Jim Brunzel, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as he shot at him for many years after this. Um, yeah, Hogan was Hogan was well liked um, and and certainly fired up the crowd. Not that they needed a lot of firing up. We have the Iron Sheik. And we've got the we got Nikolai Volkov, who's Russian. So yeah, this was our Rocky moment, so to speak. Um, the crowd was hot, and the you know the, the Killer Bees certainly needed the help because they weren't exactly the most charismatic of two wrestlers out there. They kind of right. had their B outfits and stuff. They looked like something off a of He-Man rather than in a wrestling ring. If you and if you watch this uh, 
during the when Nikolai does sing the Russian national anthem, the crowd was there, right? Like they threw filled that they filled that ring up with garbage. Oh yeah, there was there was cups galore that were thrown in there, and and you know back then when I was going to wrestling shows, it was encouraged by my grandfather to crumple the cup up at the end and throw it at the ring for the heels. <laughs> um, they were soft paper cups back then with the wax finish. So sure. yeah, there's a lot of you see them thrown throughout this show when they're dragging the heels back with the with yeah. the ring and stuff. But yeah, they they didn't hacksaw didn't need to fire him up anymore, but he was certainly there to do his job. The Iron Sheik had one of the killer bees in the camel clutch. Uh, hacksaw ran in, hit the sheik with the two by four led to the disqualification. So that's the second, I think it's the second DQ on the card. Yeah, we had a double count out and we got a DQ. Yep. Um, so for those of you scoring at home, that's six heel wins, four baby face wins, and a double count out going into the last match. Duggan got that USA chant going in before we get to the last match. Mm -hmm. Now, Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. Both of them get another opportunity to speak before the big match. This time, Andre, he does take his opportunity to speak. He says, it won't take too long to come back with the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt around my waist. That's basically the essence of it. Uh, and then Hogan, again, very weird promo. He's worried about the 90,000 people on the outside of the, the Silver Dome, not the 90,000 people inside it. He's going to slam Andre. The ground's going to shake. The closed, people weren't watching from closed circuit. They're going to be fine. The people in the arena are going to be fine. But what are the people on the outside going to think? Whatever. I don't understand again. Hogan doesn't understand science or physics or anything, <laughs> but he's ready to go. Yes. So uh, so we get to the match, and Hulk Hogan immediately goes for a body slam, and he fails. The giant lands on top of Hogan for a pin, and he thinks he gets a three count. It's very close. Now, uh, if you go back and you watch the tape, Andre has has a good gripe here. It was it was certainly three in my book, and in fact that you know uh, the next WWF superstars they run that back. Bobby Heenan brings the tape out. We're going to talk about how Andre won that match in the first three seconds, yep. and they were going to finish. They were continuing that feud. Which brings you into Survivor Series, which is the first Survivor oh, they, Series. They, they uh, yes, um, Survivor Series '87 would've been first. Mm -hmm. The uh, the other thing is they did have a rematch, which is well documented, led to the WrestleMania Four situation, the the title being vacated. Um, the rematch that they had on NBC that did a bigger number than any wrestling show you're ever going to see by any modern standard. It was enormous. Mm -hmm. Which is funny considering if you watch this match, there was really nothing to see here in terms of a good match. It's just again, it's the spectacle, it's the well-known names. Yeah. Um, even when if, they you, if you had a chance to watch the the Andre documentary, where if you haven't, I would advise anybody that's a fan of of Andre to go back and to take a look at it. This was a long day for Hulk Hogan, so maybe it's the reason why his promos were so off because he wasn't necessarily sure whether or not Andre was, was going to give him the win here. And Vince was saying, oh, no, I got it. It finishes in the bag. And Andre was, you know, uh, somebody that liked to shoot a little bit, and he played a bunch of cards, and he always was drinking well before the match and stuff like that. So Hogan will even come out and say he wasn't sure that this finish was going to end up going down this way. And, and 
was not positive about it until, you know, they get into the ring. Um, and it wasn't much of a match and it wasn't much of a match because Andre just couldn't move. You know, he had back issues and knee injuries and hip stuff, which is why you see him during the match saying, get up, get up, get up. The reason why he's saying that is he can't get down to grab Hogan to get him up, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Andre calls this match for, for, what it's worth. He's the one that, that calls the match back and forth. And, you know, Hogan said it during the document when Andre says slam, he was just as surprised as everybody else in the arena when he decided to go for it. So, um, you know, definitely not the, not the greatest wrestling match ever, but probably the most important one. Things go to the outside. Hogan peels back the mats. Andre back, back body drops him on the floor, back in the ring. Hogan, um, actually knocks Andre down with a clothesline, and then he body slams Andre, which is what you just referred to, slam. Hogan drops the big leg, gets the pinfall victory. Um, no one, two, three punch, throw Andre off the ropes, get the big boo, then the leg drop. Just body slam, leg drop, win. Call it a day. Um, Meltzer gives it negative four stars. I've never seen Probably not his finest call. (laughs) Uh, That's negative four stars. I'll have nightmares about this one. Andre just standing there, not moving for minutes on end, nearly falling asleep while holding Hulk in a four-minute bear hug. But who can complain? In one day, this match did more business than every Buddy Rogers versus Johnny Valentine, Pat Patterson versus Ray Stevens, Luthez, Carl Gotch, Steamboat versus Flair, and Jack Briscoe versus Terry Funk match combined. That's something to think about. Yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, maybe Meltzer, the original smart mark, you know, coming out with commentary and seeing it from a lot of different angles here and not realizing the historical significance of it. Now, what I find myself doing um, now and I have since this match is for as much as I anticipated this match and as much as I was excited to see these two big giant juggernauts go against each other, I can say without a doubt with my expectation after this finish, I've given myself a lot of grace in other big man matches that always leave you disappointed, whether it's, you know, Brock Goldberg when they were both leaving, that's probably the biggest example of the, the, the worst I've felt for two performers in a ring ever really. Um, But yeah, you see a lot of big man versus big man matches and they don't, they don't pay off because, you know, they're just not as athletic or whatever as, as, as what you see in the other smaller guy matches and stuff. As much fun as Vince likes to have these big giant guys. I mean, Giant Gonzalez Undertaker, not a four-star, five-star Tokyo Dome match. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and we, we live through a lot of those. The bigger they are, the better they are, not necessarily coming true, you know. Maybe Kevin Nash and Giant early on in WCW was a decent match before Kevin was really broken down and the Giant was young and stuff one of the better big man matches. And um, we've seen a couple of them here or there, um, but the big guys are getting a little more th- athletic too. I mean, the stuff you're seeing Wardlow and Brian Cage and, you know, Jake Hager and Bobby Lashley and those guys do is very different than what you saw with the big guys here. So WrestleMania three, most important wrestling card of the eighties, maybe the nineties too. Uh, we had some pivotal moments in the 90s as well, but um, certainly one of the the, the most pivotal um, in terms of going from territory system to national system. Um, had the most attention, drew the biggest audiences, 
The question is, does the show hold up? And it's a hard question to answer because I don't feel that it's, I don't feel like you, I feel like you want to as a wrestling fan to say, this is the greatest show of all time. But if you watch it, it's a little rough to watch. So I think when, when I was trying to figure that out, it's one of those things where in, in, in going back and looking at older matches and us having the conversation and really getting into wrestling where, you know, I'd missed a decade or so of it and stuff. What I found myself doing is kind of the same thing that I've always done my entire life with sports. You have eras of wrestling, right? So if I were to compare this WrestleMania to WrestleMania, you know, two years ago or WrestleMania 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I don't think it holds up. But if I were to compare this wrestling and this this event to other wrestling of that time, let's say within a within a five year on each side, like in the middle of a decade, I think it's just as good or better than most of the shows that we're going to see during that period of time. Now they're going to progressively get better and they're going to get more entertaining and they're going to do some different stuff. Although we're going to have another mania here shortly. That's pretty unremarkable, even though they tried some different things with multiple venues and stuff like that. Um, but I can't fault him for trying. So if you take a look at the way that the matches were laid out, if I was in attendance for that show, I'm positive I would have left there thinking it was the greatest thing that I've ever watched ever. And it's only because of how much the sport has, the entertainment part of the sport has evolved that we can go back and say, well, this is, you know, this is childish. I can't honestly say that the shine didn't fall off it a little bit when it comes to nostalgia. But what I find is more often than not, when I go back and I look at projects, whether it was old cartoons or old movies or things that I really, really enjoyed when I was growing up or video games, they just don't like, I can't relive that. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up to what it was before, you know, very, very few things do. And that's why, you know, classics are the classics. Jaws is still a great movie. Godfather, still a great movie. But if I go back and I watch Goonies, it's pretty good. (laughs) You know, like if I play Super Mario one, it's okay. But like, I have to kind of compare the entertainment of the era and like give myself a cutoff point of, of here and there. And the same thing happens with sports, whether you're talking about the greatness of Michael Jordan versus Kobe Bryant and LeBron James or Jack Nicholas versus Tiger Woods or, you know, Joe Montana versus Tom Brady or any of those other sports, you know, the athletes are just going to progressively get better and better and better. And you, you have to find a cutoff point to try to compare it. So modern day wrestling, no, there's very little of it. You know, the steamboat, the steamboat macho man matches the closest that we would get to that. Um, and even just the way that matches are set up are completely different now. So for its time, I think that it, I think that it was better than WrestleMania one and probably better than WrestleMania two, two by, by a pretty wide margin. I mean, WrestleMania one, they didn't even have outside of the ring. Like the stands were around the ring, you know, it was better than 11 too. Sure. Sure. You know, so, but so was Monday night raw last week. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so as far as the presentation and stuff goes, it, 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 it was certainly a monumental occasion that put wrestling way on the map. So you have to give it credit for that. You know, the, the, the quality of the Hogan match aside, the significance of it, you can't, nobody can deny. And, you know, we did get a treat with the, with the, you know, the steamboat macho man match for sure. And I think that laid the ground that match itself, along with the spectacle of Hogan Andre laid the groundwork for a lot of great wrestling afterwards because wrestlers at the time picked apart that stuff and said, how can we improve on this and how can we take this forward? You know, the rest of the stuff that's gimmick and fun. People you, people you listen to today, wrestlers today 
will point back to that Steamboat Savage match and say, that's why I am here. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So the influence carries through. Does the whole event hold up to, to a modern-day wrestling show? No. But um, if you are our age and you watched wrestling that whole time, it's, it's still a treat to go back and watch. Yeah, so. I mean, nine-year-old me watching that with your mom on the couch was a big deal. Like, that was that was an awesome, awesome show, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. All right, let me tell some folks before we get too far down the line here about the primetime rundown. Join Joey Jarzenka, Ian Schreier, and Rob DeLuca every Friday night for the primetime rundown. They take you through the world of sports. The show kicks off at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And then also the Essential Wrestling Podcast. Every Tuesday at 6 p.m., Al Carl hosts that with myself and John Smith and John DeCani and Gary Maheffi. Every week they do a week of updates on highlights in the world of wrestling. Catch that at 6 p.m. each Tuesday on the Eastern Observer. And the Daily Wrestling News Show is every day, Monday through Thursday typically, except for when you're on special Friday shows, um, at 10 o'clock. So Monday through Thursday, catch that. It's a lot of fun. Monday we usually do an interview. Tuesday through Thursday, we're recapping and doing the news. So it's a lot of fun. And if you're watching this, we sometimes have WrestleMania specials. So that's it. WrestleMania three in the books. We can go home. <laughs> Sounds good. And, and it, it, hopefully everybody's liking the series. If you are, you know, feel free to, to give it a like on YouTube or throw a comment down there. It doesn't cost you anything to hit the subscribe button and it certainly lets us know. And if you're not liking it, leave a comment too. I can take certainly as much flack as you want to give. So we'll hopefully get better the same way that WrestleManias have. Yes. Yes. Hit the like, hit the subscribe, wherever you're watching this, definitely give us the feedback. So all right, Travis, that's it. We play this outro music, and we will see everybody for another WrestleMania special, or depending on when you watch this, you might just get a regular episode of Daily Wrestling News Show. So, see ya. Brother.